What's up? Welcome to episode two of the Chip Off the Old Block podcast. I'm your host, CJ Matthews, here with the notorious, aka Dr. CJ Matthews, aka Dad. What's going on, Dad? How you doing today? Doing real good. Real good. It's good to be here. I'm kind of relaxing into this old block stuff and uh, accepting it and uh, <laughs> processing it. And uh, you know, it ain't no hate. <laughs> it's all love. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I've been old a long time, so that ain't no big thing, you know. But um, it, it's just always another reality, you know. People say, "Oh, gee, what's up, OG? And, You know, <laughs> it's a sign you know, of respect. I, I I learned that, you know, and so I stopped punching them. Okay, <laughs> all right. And I started saying, "Hey, what's up with you?" You know. But it's good to be here. Uh, a lot going on. It's definitely a lot going on. Um, well, I guess I guess we could start with what's what's, what's going on. Um, May is rapidly approaching. We're a couple days from May, meaning our state, Ohio, is a couple days away from beginning our quote unquote gradual reopening. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I guess um, given the fact that we're in a pandemic. And this is uh, an experience where nobody has the experience. Um, but the parameters that were originally established, I guess, are thrown out the window. Right. 14 days of the numbers decreasing consistently over 14 days. And uh, that hadn't happened anywhere in the country. Uh, matter of fact, the numbers are increasing. Uh, matter of fact, uh, right now, America is over a million cases. We have more positive cases than anybody in the world. We represent a third of the cases, given that there's a little bit more than three million in the world. And, uh, and the deaths and everywhere and everything is rising. So um, uh, it's interesting that, again, um, history will tell us that economics, power, politics always trumps human life. Um, and as a result of that, we're in a position now where we're in the middle of it, in the midst of it. And uh, once again, we see the power of economics, the power of politics, um, the power of those in power uh, to make decisions. Um, because again, there was a major shift in the rhetoric just uh, a week ago from social distancing, uh, staying safe, staying in, to now come out <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and be at risk. Uh, and you know, in a lot of places like uh, Georgia, for instance, a lot of people have come on and, and come out and spoken um, against some of the decisions. And really, you know, I, I've heard some, some people come out and kind of say like, this was an assault on the black community, on the poor community, um, just based on timing and the sorts of uh, businesses and services that they would begin to start to open with, which are more of the things where we tend to migrate. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, we know that in the end, um, your life is going to be based upon your sobriety, your sanity, and your own personal protection. Right. Uh, you've got to determine in this thing, nobody's looking out for you but you. Okay? And so you've got to be aware and um, uh, woke, and you've got to live a way that understands that everybody can be contaminated, or everybody is a carrier, or everybody may be a whatever. You know, if you are comfortable touching people in the midst of this, then that's your comfortability. That's not a conspiracy. That's not because somebody reopened something. 
I'm not going nowhere. <laughs> I'll come here. I'm, I'm closer to you than I have been to anybody. <laughs> okay. All right. So I hope you're not asymptomatic or asymptomatic or whatever, Matic. <laughs> <laughs> well, prayerfully, you know, I've been I've been social distancing. I've I've been following all the protocols. Uh, well, I'm not wearing a mask right now, but anytime I go go to the stores and those kind of things, um, I do wear a mask. I do wear gloves. Um, there was actually I just went to the store uh, yesterday and I only had one glove. So I was trying to maneuver the cart and grab the stuff. <laughs> and I don't know. I've been trying to stay safe. <laughs> but, uh, Wait a minute. We got to stop. I got to go get my mask. This dude, I'll do without gloves. <laughs> See, again, you know, we know the economics uh, is driving these decisions, okay? I mean, there's some politics in it because there's always going to be politics in this country. Uh, but that doesn't remove me of my personal responsibility to protect me and mine. And that's what I'm going to do. Uh, uh, because I know right now it is not safe. Nothing has changed with regards to the virus. We haven't come up with a vaccine. We don't, haven't come up with enough testing to really test enough people to know how many people really have it. Um, just the known things are not in place for us to say we can safely begin to reopen other than we don't want our businesses to die, we don't want our economy to tank. Um, we, we, those who have been going to work, um, I saw where uh, 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 500 um, of the uh, workers in the airport, and nobody's even flying, but 500 of those uh, workers have, have contracted the a virus uh, across the country. And uh, we've got medical people dying, and um, you know, people in meat plants dying and, and, and hundreds of people with the virus. And uh, um, it's just a time for families to be wise, be sober, and be safe. Just think about it. As we continue to live, we will conquer this thing. It may be, it will probably be with us the rest of our lives, but we will learn how to live with it. And as a result of that, I always tell people, no matter what the situation, if you're still alive, you still have an opportunity. If you're no longer here, all of your opportunities end the day you die, with the exception of your eternal destiny. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Basically, at all times, we have the responsibility to govern ourselves and, and our families, you know, regardless of what uh, the government is saying or anybody else is saying. Yeah, you're right. We gotta we gotta make the decisions that that that, that serve our um, our interests, our safety, our per, our protection. All right. Um, I in the in the midst of this quarantine, in the midst of this pandemic, you know, it seems like I've been working harder than ever, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I have like ten different jobs almost. And it's like, you know, we, we, we talk about this all the time. Um, the life of a pastor is just very intense. And if you don't know, then you really don't know. It's like the range of skills and abilities that you have to develop. And you may not even develop them, but the, the range of tasks that is required in the, it, it, it's just, it, it, it's, it's very intense. 
And, you know, I always, I've been kind of wanting to get this off for a minute, so I'm going to use this time to do it. <laughs> like, no, because I, I really, I really, there's certain, there's certain forms of, of, of communication that I really enjoy. I really enjoy music. I really enjoy um, comedians. Like, you know, I got the chance to go see Dave Chappelle this year. I really enjoyed that live. Right. But the benefit that Dave Chappelle has, the benefit that Beyonce even has is each and every city they go, each and every week, they had a benefit of doing the same thing over and over <laughs> and over. And they continue to perfect that thing and perfect that thing. But as the preacher, I think they need to put some more respect on that name because each and every week, no matter what is going on, you have to stand up and say what thus says the Lord and help people who are going through some real stuff. So. You know, it, it's a tough task to, to, to stand up each and every week and deliver something new in the midst of everything that's going on. And I, I, I think a lot of people don't, don't, don't realize just how serious and significant that is. Right. Well, I can tell you I'm working harder now. <laughs> Matter of fact, I can tell you I'm working harder now. <laughs> it's my reality. Uh, I wouldn't be doing this show if certain things hadn't happened, because you've been trying to get me to do it. I remember my sister tried to get me to do them years ago. So, um, yes, the intensity, the responsibility, um, and I'm sure Beyonce, Jay-Z, um, Dave Chappelle, um, and those are my favorite people also, um, uh, have their, their system, their routines to get to that place where they are and the, and the amount of work that's into it, um, and to keep it fresh even though it's the same. Uh, and that's where, um, again, preparation comes in, uh, your devotional life, um, not being somebody who is just looking for a word to speak something into people, but a real relationship with God, a real calling on your life, um, uh, being able to live in the difficult moments and the joyous moments based on what you're preaching you really believe. Right. Um, so if it's in you... Um, if, if, if it's in you, um, it'll come out. Uh, you can't hold it in. It's like uh, um, Jeremiah. Uh, it's like fire. Um, and, and the reality is, is that um, it's labor intensive. Right. You know, and uh, no matter how wealthy you are and how successful you are, it's labor intensive. Um, and anyone who tells you that it's not probably hadn't done it at a level of intensity that uh, is required of an audience because it is their hunger that God wants to feed. It is their interests and intrigue as well as their difficulties that God wants to give revelation to. It is the, the, um, uh, that thing that, that only exists between God and his selected messenger for that moment. Um, yes, we know about the Moseses and and the Pauls and those kind of people. But at the end of the day, there are millions of people who are carrying God's word right now on his behalf. And any of us who have a regular responsibility to the same audience, um, um, it's labor intensive. Yeah. I mean, and obviously, you know, it, it's coming from God. It's not, it's not us, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and you trust him and you seek him and, and there's a flow that happens. But, you know, Sunday be coming. <laughs> Sunday be coming, man. 
<laughs> not to, you know, this just, I'm just keeping it real. Like, Sunday well, you know, um, and, and I always laugh, you know, especially at your mama, you know, your mother, you know, uh, because of what she goes through in her preparation. And, uh, um, you know, and, and, and I remember those days um, 40 years ago. I remember those days uh, when, it, when, when it was as much as it was labor intensive. It was certain rituals, you know, certain things that I did and um, things like that. And then, um, uh, then I became a pastor, you know, and immediately uh, because of our growth, I started two services. And then I remember when I was doing three, I remember when I was doing four. <laughs> and, and you know, uh, and even, even though I preached the same uh, text, there's some nuances and some shifts just based upon uh, being an intergenerational church in the different audiences, as well as our, now our connected ministry, which I've had some form of television or ministry beyond these walls um, over the years. And, uh, but the responsibility is, 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 is so powerful. Um, and as long as you don't get caught up in the hype, yeah. all right, or the misperceptions or perceptions, sober, balanced, is just a perfect way to go. And I had great mentors in my life, so um, I, I really had the benefit, both in the natural side of grandfather, father, uncles, and family, and then in the, in the, in the pastoral community, my pastor, Reverend Dr. Luther F. Hill Sr., along with so many great men of God and women of God in my life that, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't been hard in one sense, but the intensity, I don't think that ever goes away. Um, the fact that you're about to stand in front of people to share God's word and to communicate a message that is both the potential to take believers into a, a more powerful life and to rescue someone from eternal damnation uh, I don't think there's anything greater on earth to do, or I don't think there's any greater responsibility. Yeah, and I probably never told you this, but speaking of like the responsibility, so um, I'm sure you remember this. I remember um, the very first time I preached <laughs> and like, you know, God had been working in my life or whatever. And, you know, we have been discussing, you know, certain things as far as ministry is concerned, but just that initial invitation to preach was kind of like, it wasn't out of nowhere, but it was like, hold on, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know what I'm saying? This is, we've been, we've been, we've been getting ready for this. And uh, so, you know, I had plenty of time, you know, plenty of time to prepare. And I prepared, you know, but, the, and I, ne I, ne I never told you this, but the night before, like the weight of the responsibility, like hit me like a pound of bricks. And I mean, I knew that thing. I was ready. I knew, I knew what God had been, had been, had been speaking to me. And I knew that it was relevant. Like I, I wasn't no, no question about that. But when I started to think about like, yo, like it started to really set in, I'm like, man, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to go. Like, <laughs> I'm just not going to show up. You know, they'll figure something out, but uh, I don't think I'm going to make it. Well, the, the, uh, and, and you won't find most of the stuff I say in a book, uh, but there's that fainting moment, all right? And it is overwhelming, and it is a responsibility far greater than any one of us can, can uh, perceive or handle, except God be with us. Um, and so it's it's that, and 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 you know, and I'm old school, so people probably think I'll be helping you and stuff, which you know I don't. 
yeah. because I'm old school. You know, nah. throw them out, don't throw them in a lake. No, throw them in the ocean. <laughs> 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 I mean, you say you've been called. So what? You got you to gotta figure out how to stay afloat. You got to figure out something to get you back to shore. You got to fight off the sharks. And I mean, if you make it back, yeah, we know you called. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't even think about that. That's probably what a lot of people think. They probably think like that you, like there's all these things. Like the only, the only, the only uh, like advice that first time was just don't be too long. <laughs> So like, you know. W.W. Taylor, great man of God, great pastor, years ago out of Chicago, uh, he, he said something. I was a young preacher, too, and I'm like feeling some kind of way because I'm thinking he's talking about me. Uh, but he stood up and he said, um, he said, unfortunately, young preachers have it rough. He said, number one, they don't get a lot of opportunities. He said, number two, when they get an opportunity, they don't, don't know what to say. <laughs> then he said, number three, they say it too long. <laughs> <laughs> And that stuck with me. He said, I, I would, let me see, this is 1983, 84, he said that. That stuck with me all of my ministry. Um, and because of my pastor and, and his push for preparation um, was, wait a minute, okay, you don't get many opportunities. So um, make sure that when you get it, that you represent God well. And then don't be out there um, trying to keep people too long because uh, it's like the uh, guy revivalist. I went to preach at the revival and it was a big storm so nobody showed up but the one deacon who opened the church and so the revivalist looked out and saw the one deacon but he preached you know as if the whole church was there so he preached about 45 50 minutes and so at the end of the sermon he said to the old deacon he said how was it he said i think it was great he said but next time you prepare a meal for a hundred don't try to feed it to one <laughs> yeah. so you know I mean, uh, and, and, and timing, those kinds of things are important, but you'll learn your flow, and God will bring you an audience that will flow with your flow. You know, I, I used to preach an hour here, um, and the place was packed, you know. Uh, I don't know if I preach an hour now if anybody be left, because I started. Uh, as, I, as I added the services, I think um, I may have cut down, or I don't remember how it changed, but... Uh, I determined uh, more recently that um, based on our culture now that I would only minister so long. Uh, and I'm not going to st stand up and, you know, blame the Holy Spirit when I want to go long and blame the Holy Spirit when I want to go short. No, um, it's a conscious choice to prepare. And then within the context of that preparation, deliver it in a way that is both timely and responsible. And so I can't put a minute on that for you, although I did your first time. <laughs> which I do everybody, you know, <laughs> uh, first time out, you know, you get about 15 minutes, okay, uh, um, and, and you grow into it, and you will, and you are. Uh, it's, it's, it's a joy to grow um, and, and, and see where God has, has brought you from, both in your insights um, as well as in, I've never been comfortable preaching in that sense that I take it for granted. Right. But I was born to preach, yeah. and I'm going to preach, yeah. and uh, I love to preach. You know, I always tell people, you can wake me up at any time in the morning, and I'm ready, okay? And that actually happened one time. <laughs> I overslept. <laughs> <laughs> they came and got me, and I had like five minutes to get ready. And when I got there, it was like, no, it's your turn, <laughs> and I had to preach. Uh, so, but it's a joy.
Yeah, speaking of that, um, just that, I guess that's how you always um, describe to me a thoroughbred. You could wake up a thoroughbred in the middle of the night and it's gonna, it's gonna run that race. But the whole world has been watching <laughs> the latest uh, content, and that is uh, The Last Dance oh, yeah. with uh, Michael Jordan and the, the 97, 98 Bulls. It took me a while. You know, I don't have cable. <laughs> Smart man. I had to figure it out, but I finally got a chance to watch. Did you get a chance to watch? Oh, yeah. yeah. What, what you think? Uh, we, I lived it, okay? Um, and I saw all of those games. Uh, and um, not, I was not there in the arena. Uh, but, um, and so it was, it's almost refreshing to see, um, especially in the GOAT conversations today, um, uh, it's refreshing to see how really great um, uh, uh, MJ was in that sense um, and how different he was as we compare him to LeBron James and uh, being a, a Clevelander and having watched uh, LeBron um, go all the way through his um, uh, journey. Uh, but then I'm old enough to go all the way back to Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain, Oscar Robinson, uh, um, Earl the Pearl, um, and all of these basketball players were so great. Um, it's just really refreshing to see the young guys coming on now, uh, the Greek Freak and uh, Zion. And, uh, uh, you know, we got a couple of kids on our team that, that have some promise. Um, so to have had this panoramic view is really refreshing. But I think with the last dance, I know people are going to look for the crazy stuff in the last dance. But for me, someone, again, uh, who lived through it. And when the Cavs really were one of the teams that was on their back back then. No, the Cavs. And I was, was out of Richfield for the shot. But anyway. <laughs> I forgot who made that point, but like they be saying like, oh, they had to go against Boston. They yeah. had to go against Detroit, but they had to go against Cleveland. Cleveland. No, 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 Cleveland, I'm telling you. We had some great teams back then, okay? But again, you know, uh, as with football, Denver, and with uh, basketball, uh, Chicago, um, there was that, that Chicago during a few of those years was to us as Detroit was to Chicago. Um, but we had some very, very good teams. Uh, from the beginning of our franchise, um, uh, we had great players um, and we were able to assemble di different times. But again, the, the bigger thing for me in the last dance, number one is the quality. Oh man, impeccable. Uh, uh, be, but that's, that's Michael Jordan, okay. Um, he's going to do things at a high level, okay? He, he, he's a no-nonsense guy, okay? He, his, his whole uh, journey, his whole saga has been about elevation, 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 next level, next level, next level. And again, you know, you live in the profile like he does. You, you live as long as he's lived. Um, the tragedies um, as well as the weaknesses are exploited and exposed, unfortunately, or fortunately, because he's... It does, I don't know if it bothers him or not. I've never had a personal conversation with him to say, did that bother you? Um, but I have watched uh, him go from a tremendous athlete to a tremendous businessman to a great philanthropist and dad and so on and so forth. Yeah, and uh, after much ado, I finally got a chance to watch, but um, it, it was, it was, it was, I, I like the way that it was, it was put together, like the way that it was sequenced how it like 
it kind of like it wasn't done like the normal way, the way they would move back and forth in time. And I really like that. But I guess one of the main things that I've, I, I took away from it was just or and not just this, but any any time that you see greatness on display mm-hmm. to me, it's just inspiring. And it just it just it just lights a fire in me. Not that there isn't already a fire lit, but when you see greatness on display, when you Absolutely. see that championship mentality and behavior, it just makes you want to be a, you know what I'm saying? Like it just inspires you to want to excel and, and, and perform at your highest level. But obviously we wouldn't be us as a culture, as a society, if this didn't uh, elicit the conversation of the GOAT. <laughs> and I, I didn't even, um, I didn't e- intentionally, I didn't even wear no Jordans today. Um, I got on some LeBrons, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that I think that the the, the, the LeBron Jordan debate is is obviously you got to have it because um, you, you take the the, the the greatest player from a generation. Obviously, you want to put the two or pit the two against each other and compare. I think it's a miss. The con- it's 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 kind of like not even like I, I never thought that it was a good comparison, but but I guess what I could say is this. Um, you know, maybe maybe Jordan was, and, and clearly he, he he's one more he, like a greater champion, like you know what I'm saying. I don't think that necessarily makes him the better player though, or the more skilled player. Although you know, you know, I, I and you know, I, I might, I might get slammed for this. I never considered Tom Brady to be better than Peyton Manning. Has he won more championships? Yeah. Do I think that he was a better quarterback? No. Well, those from my era um, don't understand this rhetoric anyway, um, and you know, they easily write us off and call us old. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you want to write somebody off, just demonize them or put them in a category and then dismiss them. Okay. I don't understand the argument, number one, um, because different eras have produced legendary people. For sure. And having had the privilege of actually seeing Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, um, that's boxing and football, um, and uh, um, personally, and he went home to be with the Lord last year, uh, knowing Harrison Dillard, um, uh, seeing great people, great eras, um, then we get into a GOAT conversation, and everybody always wants to bring up the rings versus LeBron, okay? I don't know between the two of them if you could pick a GOAT because of the difference they made in the game at their moment. Um, because I dismiss those arguments because the moment you say rings, I'm like, 11 plus for Bill Russell. Right. And nobody even ever mentions it. They mention it, but they just... Ah, but they don't mention it, and they dismiss it. And we're not talking about 11 over time. We're talking about bam, bam, bam. And so, having seen Bill Russell and not liking Boston, can I say that on this podcast? <laughs> yeah. Not liking Boston. <laughs> I don't. I don't think anybody likes Boston except for Boston. <laughs> okay. Well, see, I have to fast forward for that dislike because of Boston and L.A. All right, because all my boys was on L.A. at the time, 
you know, Kareem and Magic and Worthy, you know, they was my boys, okay? Um, so, and the Bird-Magic rivalry, and I always thought the refs gave Boston too much liberty <laughs> and took it away from the other team. But anyway, that was just my little view. Um, so I haven't seen, seen them all and, uh, between Will and Kareem. And I mean, what Kareem did was so phenomenal. Kareem. I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal. For okay, sure. I mean, it was phenomenal what he did for basketball and what he did to basketball. I mean, it's like, um, you know, uh, the Fallsbury flop, what, what it was called at the time. Now everyone jumps over the bar backwards. Yeah, okay. I, I, think, I think Kareem, the crazy thing about that was, so when I was a kid, I used to watch, they used to have that ESPN classic. I used to, that's all, all I used to, that's all I used to watch, like stuff like that. And I was watching it and it was this guy and, and he was just the most dominant thing I ever seen. And they just kept saying his name, Lou Alcindor. I'm like, what happened to this dude? <laughs> Only to find out that that's Kareem. I was like, oh my, my mind was blown when I discovered that that was the same person. I'm like, this is like the greatest player of college I've ever seen, like hands down. He was, hands down. It was, it was and when he came in the game, and it wasn't just a sky hook, it was the athleticism and the intelligence. And see, that's what people write off. So many times when you're a super athlete is they forget the level of intelligence it took for him to be able to navigate the things that he did. And I mean, and, and again, it goes back to greatness. And again, looking at the last dance, talking about the GOAT or Jordan, um, the one thing he came to, to grips with was, wait a minute, if I don't elevate my team, then what am I really doing? Right. Do I need another scoring title? Do I need another individual accolade? No, no, no. And, and, and Scotty was great when he got there. Okay, but certainly he elevated his game. Okay, Dennis Rodman was great when he got there, but he 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 played his role significantly, and 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 our own Steve Kerr, um, and so um, these. I mean, it's just for me the big joy is I like to hear the discussions, but most of these guys on these sports sports uh, channels, um, you know. I appreciate them, I respect them, I think they're great people, but the rhetoric is nonsensical most of the time. Uh, some of it is race-based, unfortunately, especially when they evaluate black quarterbacks um, and black athletes. Um, and I know these guys are paid by those organizations, so I don't expect them to be, um, you know, um, anything other than what they are, sports casters. So I don't, I don't judge them in that sense. But the racism in sports is, is still as horrific as it ever was. Uh, people will cheer you in the stands, unlike Jackie Robinson and some of the things those guys went through. But at the same time, if you mess up, it comes out. Um, the level of hatred on, 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 on black athletes is just unbelievable when kids make mistakes. Uh, yeah. Because most of the time, it's about 18 to 25 year olds. And uh, most of us in this country at 18 to 25, and you live a while, you don't want that to be the person that's on display. <laughs> I know I don't. <laughs> you don't want that because your brain isn't even fully developed according <laughs> to neuroscience. So, I mean, you know, and the level of hatred. See, I, I could understand some people being disappointed or whatever, but the level of hatred that comes out when, when, uh, when African-American athletes 
uh, make a mistake or don't live up to their potential. I'm looking at Jameis Winston's statistics. Yeah. They talked about one statistic. He did throw the most interceptions, but he also threw the most touchdowns. But when I looked at his QBR, 10 quarterbacks below him with names that we don't even hear about. Right. Okay, on teams right now. You know, and so, I don't know. It's, I know, you know, my grandfather hoped for a better world, and he was born in 1898 and, uh, and believed God for something different. My dad was born in 1918, worked hard and believed God for something different. I've tried to do the same for you, your siblings, and my grandchildren, but at the end of the day, this country ought to be ashamed of itself. Yeah, I mean, not, and not, not to move away from sports, you know. It's not, a, it's not a new conversation, but it was just re, I guess it doesn't go away, but just resurfaced. I was watching, <clears throat> I haven't watched ESPN much, um, but I was watching uh, after the NFL draft, and they was talking about uh, the, Eagle, the Eagles. So I guess uh, Jalen Hurts got drafted to Philly, and <laughs> so many people thought that it was, it was just clear cut that he's there to be the backup and he's there to be developed when it's like, and, 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 and the rhetoric to, dis, to define him, that, that's, that's the cold word and it's not new, but oh, he's athletic, but we question his accuracy. We, we, we question his passing um, ability and those kind of things are just like a, a, a smack in the face, but you know, it's undeniable and you can't really argue it as much as they'll try to push it. It's clearly the era and the league of the black quarterback. Well, and, and, and maybe so, but you know, that evaluation there on black quarterbacks and Caucasian quarterbacks, he makes all the throws. <laughs> what the hell is all the throws? <laughs> I can make all the throws <laughs> and I can't even move. <laughs> But I can make all the throws. So, I mean, you know, and, and, and coming from the era I did when it was more blatant and, and demonstrative in other ways, it's equally as bad right now because it doesn't have to be that way. And um, quarterbacks, we've always had great quarterbacks, and they were made to be receivers and so on and so forth. And I, I, I tip uh, Baltimore. Um, uh, Ozzie's uh, last pick was uh, Man, Lamar Jackson. Major. <laughs> <laughs> that was his last pick as the general manager, and I'm sure he's got a role now. Um, they don't mention him much, but uh, <clears throat> coming from Cleveland, you know, and, 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 and um, just being a great person, Ozzy, um, a great family man, and uh, uh, um, literally um, Harbaugh understood, wait a minute, I got an asset here, all right? And I heard um, uh, Mac Brown say something some years ago when he had uh, Vince, Young. Vince Young, and he was doing an interview, and that was the year when, when they beat USC, USC yeah, yeah, for the national championship. And so they were doing an interview, and, and Mac Brown said, you know, they were saying, well, you finally got him together. Mac Brown said, what do you mean? Well, he finally fit into your system. Mac Brown said, no, you got it wrong. He said, I tried to make him fit into my system. And then both of us had to step back and figure out how do we make this work for both of us? And we adjusted to each other. And I was like, woo, that's why he can come back. Um, I think what, North Carolina somewhere after being retired and won a few games last year because everybody doesn't get it. Harbaugh got it. 
You know, I'm glad his brother can't get it, though. I hope he don't never get it. He <laughs> <laughs> got no hate for Yeah, well, he have the team up north. So, anyway, because, you know, um, but, you know, he understood, you know. That's why they took Kyler Murray. That's why you see pa what Patrick Mahomes is doing. And here is Cam Newton. If you look at his QBR and all of what he did in North Carolina, he doesn't have a job. And I won't start naming quarterbacks who have jobs, but he doesn't have a job. That's ridiculous. And for certain African-American sportscasters to justify that, I know they get paid, and I understand. Love you. Yeah. So just to wrap up sports, would you uh, – so the draft did happen. Uh, yeah, Cleveland made out, baby. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was going to ask you. What you think? What you, what oh, yes. You they took my boy, too, Delph. That dude, me and Harris was talking, that dude is an old-time hitter. Yeah. I know you can't hit today, but if he get an opportunity, he's going to whack somebody. Yeah, then, uh, you know, we, 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 I, I like it because, again, I, I said this, I think, in our previous cast, uh, we got good owners. Now we have a solid um, organization um, with uh, Mr. Andrew Berry, tremendous coaches, Stefanski, and the group he's put together. Um, and, and we got some good players. We only have one, one challenge, and my prayer is, is that what everybody is hoping for and everybody thinks will happen, and that is um, our quarterback, uh, Baker Mayfield, will get the cogs out of his head or whatever was going on. He didn't have a coach last year. Uh, um, but whatever, whatever it was, whatever adjustments he needs to make, he'll make those adjustments because if he makes those adjustments, um, I see us in a very, very good position um, this year because uh, our defense is going to be off the oh, charts. Um, sure. uh, you know, and I, and and, and um, so that that I mean, we just I mean, you put Delve with, with Denzel, and I mean, it's just we we're. I'm, I'm as excited as I've been in a long time as far as uh, Browns football. I've been a Browns fan, you know, 60 years, so that's not a question. Um, I'm always going to be a Browns, Cavs, Indians, any sports team in Cleveland, that's my team. Now i got folk all over the country. Why? Because if they don't get where I need them to go, then come playoffs, i got to pick me some teams <laughs> that I'm going to roll with, okay? And then because, you know, we got kids all over the country right. that are paid for Ginn or played for Ohio State. Because of how you know how much I follow college football, you know I got kids don't have nothing to do with Ohio State, and and I say kids not like I know them and I've been with them because I just love sports, I love the kids, and I'm rooting for them. You know I root for kids no matter what ethnicity they are, no matter what team they are. Now if you're playing Ohio State, you got to lose. If you're playing the Browns, you got to lose. Cavs, Indians, so on and so forth. But I'm still rooting for kids. Yeah, that's actually that's actually a perfect uh, segue. Um, so, uh, one of my favorite rappers, uh, Wale, <laughs> uh, he just recently, uh, put out a music video to, a, um, a song that he has, uh, out, um, I think at the, uh, it came out sometime last year, I want to say, but, um, the video is genius and it is a look, uh, it, it looks at race in a different way. And, uh, in the hook, he says, sue me, I'm rooting for everybody that's black and basically you know um he kind of uh he, he he's just making a statement that i'm you know i'm unapologetic unapologetically black and i want to see people that look like me win you know no matter what it is but in the video and you got a chance to look at it so i want to hear what you think about it he um 
I'm not sure who else put it together with him, but whoever was a part of that team, like they did a great job. I think that thing needs to be turned into like a film, you know. But anyway, um, they basically kind of made it like a role reversal uh, between the black and the white community. And there was all of this little subtle messaging in it. Um, if you looked at the oatmeal, it wasn't Quaker <laughs> oats. It was melanin oats. Uh, they didn't go to Starbucks. They went to more bucks. And not more like more, but more like the Moors. Moors, right. And, 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 you know, so the black people were the executives. And, yeah, and black and all, Jesus, too. Yeah, so all, 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 all of the messaging, all of the pictures, all of the images just sort of reinforced the 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 greatness of black right whereas in our society is kind of reverse right. yeah no it's uh and if again uh if caucasian people were to see that and feel some kind of way that's our everyday reality and that's the point okay and so it is ingenious as well as it's creative because again that's what i'm saying during this pandemic creativity ought to be so high it's unbelievable okay all right and, 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 and I'm talking more to blacks and African-Americans right now than I am to Caucasians. We got to learn that thing right there, okay? Wale, okay, hey Wale, all right. So, because I served on a major, and I won't name it, major organization in this state for 12 years, okay? All right, and it, it sets giant policy on behalf of the governor, okay, and responsible for billions of dollars worth of stuff. And I was the only African-American during that entire time. And I remember the executive director came to me one time and he said, CJ, you know, you've been down here all this time and it seems like to me the only thing you're ever concerned about in the contract is the minority portion. I said, okay. He said, why is that? I said, because the majority got four votes already. <laughs> so when we go in these boardrooms, and we don't understand. They never disrespected me. We, we had dinner, lunch, all kind of things together, but I wasn't there to be just a person on that board. I was there to make sure that African-Americans were included in that process. And if we learn that, the Wale story, and we don't have to flip it. See, we've never desired to flip it. We, we technically, we don't want them to be the maids and the servants, all right, okay? but we don't want to be shot down dead, unarmed by police, okay? All right, given the rhetoric that goes on from some other people toward them, and what we do is so different, it's unbelievable. We don't want to have our cities and communities open because we're dying disproportionately. We don't want our children to have to go back in the buildings because of lack of a digital expression in our community and digital infrastructure. That's what I think Brother Wale was really pointing to, was the inequities. And it's like the mother, I was on the White House Katrina Task Force, and so there was this mother that in CNN, we were in the CNN building when they called us to Washington in Atlanta, and there was this mother, this one mother, they showed the clip of her several times, and uh, they said to her, well, why didn't you leave? She said, what do you mean leave? Why didn't you leave before the hurricane hit? She said, sir, I didn't have nothing before the hurricane hit. So the disparities that were in place prior to the pandemic are still there 
only compounded by the pandemic. And that's so tragic and unfortunate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, speaking of that, uh, unfortunately, yet again, you know, over the past weekend, just this past uh, week, another, another, and, you know, I, another unarmed black man killed by police, uh, Mike Ramos. Um, I want to say uh, his name. And it's just like, you know, we, we, we see it so much that it's like you don't you don't want to become desensitized to it because like it is very significant, but it's just like the same thing over and over. And it's like, it doesn't seem as if anything is changing. Right. Well, you know, and I can speak in so many different ways to that because I've been on both sides. I've had one of the biggest law enforcement programs in the country through uh, community-based programs, reentry programs in the country called Fugitive Safe Surrender, right. um, which I helped develop and helped start it with um, Doug Weiner and U.S. Marshal Pete Elliott. And I've spoken law enforcement co conferences across this country um, and have mad respect for them, but simultaneously I've probably been one of the biggest critics also because of those things that I know don't have to happen. Um, rarely when an officer is in harm's way Will he get to return that fire if that person really means to harm him, unfortunately? And I participated in three um, homegoing celebrations of officers killed in this region, and it was horrific. I mean, it was horrific, okay? Um, I sat with Wayne Leon's wife, Grace Leon, and that's how Pete came to me to start Fugitive Safe Surrender and their children. Um, you don't ever want that to happen. Uh, brother and sister Owens from Antioch when Derek Owens got killed um, and his wife and family. Um, Officer McTarian out in Twinsburg yeah, when he got killed and we, were, we had his home going celebration at Mount Zion in Oakwood. No, no, it's not, it, it can't, it's not either or, okay? It's life for everybody. Life. Life for everybody, okay? And, um, and if we if we figure that out, um, um, we can do some things differently. I don't want to take up any more to show with that because that's a show almost by itself. And uh, we can bring in Pete or somebody um, to talk with us about it. But, um, I mean, uh, I've got some real strong, strong feelings about that because there's some things that need to be done on both sides of the fence. Um, we need to, my dad taught me how to be pulled over, okay? Um, and, and back then it made a difference because we weren't being shot like they are now, um, by no means. Um, wasn't even close. But we got pulled over all the time, all the time, <laughs> all the time, okay. All right, when um, uh, Tamir writes that home going celebration was at our church, and I spoke um, to Don Lemon on CNN, and I spoke to whoever. Um, I told him, listen, my, my granddad was born in 1898. He experienced police. Uh, brutality and police challenges. My dad was born in 1918, he experienced it. I was born in 53, I experienced it. I remember your situation. Um, so, when do we get it different? I didn't say get it right. I said get it different. And that's what we ought to be working toward. Um, JT, one of the officers here, community-based officers here in Cleveland. Um, hey JT, I know I haven't spoke to you, but we were planning a uh, community-based uh, workshop 
where people could come in and be trained in uh, uh, community policing. And we were going to do it right at our church. Um, pandemic hit, so we'll probably wind up doing it later on. But uh, building bridges is important. Getting to know our officers is important. Um, them getting to know us is important. And then responsible behaviors are important. Yeah, I, and I think those things are great. And obviously this isn't something we can answer right now, but I guess my question and I guess my desire is when do, when do we get to hold people accountability for the severity of the actions that are, that are done so unnecessarily? Lives are being lost when they don't have to. Well, um, I think oppressed communities need to understand the whole system. Um, and unfortunately, accountability is the word, okay? Um, if the philosophy, um, true or false, but if this is the philosophy, I would rather be judged by 12 than carried by six, that automatically releases my trigger quicker. If in this country, uh, more than 98% of the cases um, go before a grand jury and are dismissed, then that pulls my trigger quicker. If 100% of the cases that reach the Supreme Court are ruled in favor of law enforcement, I pull my trigger quicker. If I'm afraid because I've determined that these people carry guns and they're violent and they're this or that, not just based on the race, ra racism demonizing, but if I've determined that when I come in this situation, that person is trying to kill me, I'm shooting quicker. Then if I have the hatred in me for a group of people, all right, then that's only going to magnify that, intensify it, and I'm shooting much quicker, all right? Fear, inexperience, or simple Ku Klux Klan. I always say this, I don't think that we're ever hold officers accountable if everything they do is murder. I think we need to have a whole nother set of legislation and accountability for that group of people because they are in a different position. And so the rhetoric we have now for traditional homicides and things don't I don't think that will ever work itself out in a way that's going to be amenable for either group because everybody has to just fight for their turf. But I do think there needs to be something other than just police review and uh, the things that happen there because it's amazing how a, per a policeman can, police officer can get fired and they're always returned through arbitration. All right? I, I was a union person in my other life and no one ever won in arbitration. <laughs> the company always won. So I don't know how it is. Well, I know based on what we see, they always get returned with pay, you know. So I don't know. Uh, those are things we need to look at. I know a lot more than I'm saying right now, but I, but I don't want to spend any more time today. I'm old and tired. I'm the block. Oh, I'm the chip off. No, I'm the block. Right, okay. So I think, I think we could bring this whole, this whole thing uh, kind of full circle and, and, and get back to the reopening because you know, it's kind of, in, in, in the beginning, I was kind of disappointed. And I kind of, sometimes you kind of got to, 
you kind of got to go to the extreme, even though you know the realities of the situation. And I expressed my disappointment in the decision that was being made, specifically in Ohio, although I, I am concerned about all people, especially those trouble areas. But it does seem like in Ohio, um, you know, the steps are, are rolling out gradual enough where it's like, I think like in this first phase, you know, really the only things that are really returning are like some of those healthcare things, which have been halted, you know, which are critical. Um, and, you know, I, you know, so I don't, I don't know. I, th I think that perhaps the plan may be. Yeah, I know. Cause I, it's time for me to go to the dentist, but I don't know if I'm gonna, nobody stick nothing in my mouth right now, but me. Nope, 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 I don't know. I need to go to the dentist. I need to uh, get my hair and stuff cut, but I don't know. I love TK, but I don't know. I just don't know right now. Um, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think our governor's done a great job in one sense. He got a lot of criticism for how he extended the election. Um, and really by the time it uh, worked itself out, the, the big aim was moot, um, but the down ballot issues were still there. Uh, issue 33 passed, which was good, overwhelmingly, which was good, given some of the people who weren't supporting it. And I'm not going to call out the names of some of those groups and organizations. I'll get my list together for the next broadcast. But um, So that was good. Um, a couple of my friends won, which was good. Um, uh, one of your, uh, Derek and them's former uh, teachers, um, when they were in the program, when she was in education before she was a judge, Judge Emanuela Grove, she won. She's, uh, I, I, <laughs> I know her for other reasons. <laughs> well, she won, you know, and so there was some good still come out of it. Um, but now we got the uh, next election mail and however that's gonna be, uh, the census, that's important. Um, so we got stuff, you know, um, but the reopening, um, that's the one where I gotta control my own destiny. And there's nowhere right now I'm going to go that I haven't been going, unfortunately. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd like to get uh, some gear, whatever that means. Um, I'd like some stuff, um, but there's no stuff. There's nothing, nothing, nothing. Hey, nothing, nothing <laughs> <laughs> that I'm going to put my life at risk to right now. It's just too soon. The numbers are still going up. People are dying. I'm, no. Oh, no. No, no way. Just no way. No. And I know, you know, people are chomping at the bit to get back to church. Man. And uh, I know folk want to come back to church, and I miss them. I really do. Um, I've been doing some calls with our ministries, and I call some of our members, and I really do miss them. But I'm going to keep on missing them. And anybody get mad at me for missing them? If we still alive in two years, let's have a party. <laughs> I think, I think people really are getting cabin fever, not just for church, but they just thirsty and antsy to get outside. The weather is breaking, you know, and that's a big deal in Cleveland. You know, our weather, you know, our summer lasts for like five seconds. Well, go outside then. I don't know, you know, and I've never been do, been scared of nothing. You know, I just have never been scared of nothing. But right now, nope, not me. Right on. Nope, no dadding, you know, vice president out Dead people, no mask on. Right on, brother. <laughs> yeah, I switched it. My official uh, greeting is, is Jesus only. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus forever. 
I never, I ain't gonna lie. That's one of the things, you know, as black, as black dudes, you know, you walk in a room, you gotta dap everybody up, you gotta get everybody a headshake. I hated that. It's exhausting. If I walk in a room with a 50 dudes, I gotta get 50 dudes. Like, this is too much. Like, it didn't so, used to be like that. All right. You know, we, we had handshakes. We had, well, man, you know, uh, you know, it's evolved over the years. And, you know, I'm trying to roll with it. But, you know, fortunately, being me, uh, I'm able to do what I want to do and uh, piss off enough people regularly and love enough people regularly that I can be me. You know, I'm sure I'm going to piss off some folks. I don't mean to piss y'all off, but stay away from me. Well, all right, family. Uh, until next time, pray that you stay safe and have a blessed uh, day and week. And don't come near me. <laughs>